0: For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Carrie Lynn Lucas. I serve here on our pastoral staff at Lover's Lane as our Perkins assistant pastor. Additionally, I'm a student at Perkins School of Theology, working on my Master's of Divinity with hopes of continuing in this crazy journey that God has called me on into ministry. I want to say a word of welcome to all of you on this July 4th weekend, I think, Um, I don't know if it's this weekend or next weekend. But either way, welcome. Whether you're visiting family, you're here for the first time, or you're like my family and you're joining us online, welcome. This summer, we've been in a sermon series that we're calling In Between. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Old Testament. One thing you need to know about me is I really, 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 really love the Old Testament. Maybe more than the New Testament. You need Jesus, right? But like, I love the Old Testament. So this entire sermon series has been really incredible for me. We've been looking at the story of the Hebrew children of the Israelites in the Old Testament just after they left Egypt, they left slavery, and they're in this period for 40 years wandering in the desert before they get to the Promised Land. We looked at things like how God provides all that we need, like God provided manna and water for the Israelite people. But then we talked about how the things that God provides that were once a miracle, we maybe stopped seeing as a miracle. Manna and water became a pretty big source of complaining for the Israelite people. And last week, Stan was in here, and he gave a great sermon that he titled Breaking the Cycle. And he talked about... The rules that we may get in these desert seasons in our life. Like the Israelite people got the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of other laws. So I get to close out the sermon series. And you would think that I'd get the happy part, right? After hundreds of years enslaved to the Egyptians, the Israelite people, this guy Moses, shows up and says, Hey, we're gonna leave, talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh fakes him out and says no, like 47 times. Then They get to go, but as they're leaving, the Egyptian army is chasing them. Moses raises the waters, which then fall on the Egyptians as they're following. Then they wander in the wilderness for a while. Then manna and water come out of nowhere. Then the Israelite people wonder where in the world Moses has gone because he went up the mountain and hasn't come back in a while. Then they build a golden calf because, well, they have trust issues. Then Moses comes down and sees the golden calf, and they get in trouble, and he breaks the Ten Commandments. So then he goes back up the mountain again and gets more commandments, more laws, and they wander around some more. So you would think, after all this, I get to preach on the happy part. I have news for you all. We're not quite there. I don't quite get to do the happy part. Our text this morning is a conversation Entering into the promised land actually has this bittersweet moment. So this morning, we're going to look at a conversation between God and Moses. The Israelites have new rules, and they're about to get new leadership as well. And we're going to see how Moses does with learning to trust God's promises in all seasons of his life. So before we get going, let's stop and pray. God, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to gather together as your people. God, we thank you for the texts in our scriptures that have so much to teach us, both Old Testament and New. We pray that you would be with us this morning as we look at your word, God. May the words of my mouth not be mine, but yours for these people gathered here this morning. Amen. Okay, so small piece of background information before we get going. Our text today comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 27, but it references a story that's a few chapters earlier. So I'm just going to give you the quick overview. So in Numbers, chapter 20, the Israelite people are without water. So Moses and Aaron go and they have a conversation with God. And Moses is given really simple instructions. God tells Moses, to tell a rock to give water to the people, and it will. So you would think that Moses would have no problems following these super simple instructions, right? Like God's been batting a 1,000 up until this point, and Moses should really be able to just talk to a rock, right? This should be easy. You would think Moses could follow instructions to the letter. Well, I have another spoiler alert for you all. He does not. Yes, he has some problems. Um, he goes to the people and he's a little mean to him. He says, listen, you rebels, shall I give you water? And then he hit um, the rock with his staff twice. So not exactly. Following instructions. God basically comes to Moses and says, hey, man, what would you do that for? Moses did not trust God. So Moses is told in Numbers 20 that he will not be the one to lead the people into the promised land. So over in Numbers 27 is our text for the day. So this is Numbers 27, verses 12 through 23. It says, "'The Lord said to Moses, "'Go up this mountain and look at the land that I have given to the Israelites.'" You will see it, and then you will join your ancestors just as Aaron, your brother, has. Because in the Zin desert, when the community confronted you, you rebelled against my command to show them my holiness by means of water. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority, that all the congregation of the people Israel may obey." And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they will go out, and at his word they shall come in. Both he and all the people Israel with him, the whole congregation, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him, finally. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation, and he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. So this is a super big chunk this morning, which was a little intimidating as I was writing this week. So we're going to break it down and just go piece by piece. So let's be reminded of um, verses 12 through 14. The Lord said to Moses, go up this mountain and look at the land that I've given to the Israelites. You will see it and then join your ancestors just as Aaron, your brother, has. Because in the in desert, When the community confronted you, you rebelled against my command to show them my holiness by means of water. So here God is telling Moses something he already knows. There's a consequence for his disobedience. He is not going to be able to enter into the promised land. God tells Moses that he's going to die. But here we also get a really wonderful glimpse of God's grace. Back in chapter 20... Moses is not told he would get to see the promised land. But here in chapter 27, God says, Go look at it. Go stand on top of that mountain and see it. I can't help but think, what was this like? Moses, who confronted a burning bush, Moses, who led the people despite their whining and complaining, finally got to see the thing that he had been working for this land. He got to see the place that his people were going to go and inhabit and multiply and protect. He got to stand on the mountaintop. But the more interesting part of this passage comes next. It's Moses' response to God. Verses 15 through 17 say, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of all the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. In this response, I think we see the true character of Moses. When people think of Moses, they think of the guy who confronted the burning bush. The guy who laid aside his insecurities to stand up to Pharaoh. The guy who led the Israelite people all through the wilderness. But when I think of Moses, I think of this response. Moses asks God to appoint a new leader for the people because he desires what's best for the people. Moses doesn't ask God if he can have a four-way tryout and post a list on a bulletin board of who's going to be the next leader. Moses says, God, what is best? Show me. Moses wants what's best for the people. He knows that the leader that God will choose will be what's best for them. Moses is showing in his response that he trusts God's work in all seasons including the ones without him. Now, this morning, we love and appreciate every single one of our guests, but little do you know, we have a very special guest in our midst this morning. Yes, my cousin, Jared Campbell, is here all the way from Los Angeles, California today, and I'm about to embarrass the heck out of him. So Jared and I are six months apart almost to the day. And we grew up 15 minutes from one another. So we really have what you would call a traditional sibling relationship. And speaking of embarrassing, I do believe we have a picture of us. Yeah. Get you some of those matching moose outfits. Thank you, grandparents, for that one. (laughs) But Jared and I have been best friends. When we were babies, our parents claimed that we could walk into rooms, squeal, and run to each other, even if it's been, like, 10 minutes since we last saw one another. And he even came in this morning to hear me preach. Jared and I are both the firstborn in our immediate families. Where are my firstborns at? Yeah, all the rules actually applied to us, right? Yes, yes, God be with the firstborns. (laughs) Even though Jared and I are the oldest in our families, we actually take on that position very differently. In our group of cousins, there's six of us that we are only five years apart, oldest to youngest. And I think we have another photo. Maybe not. Look at that. Yeah, that's impressive, right? Yeah. So what's so cool about the six of us is we're all so different. And we've been close our whole life. Growing up only 15 minutes from one another, in the summers, we spent every day together. We'd have cousin sleepovers, and even now we've got this group Snapchat that we interact on every single day. But we're all very different. And within the group of our cousins, Jared and I play very different roles. Jared's role is typically to have sentences that start this way. Hey, guys, I have a really good idea. My role is a little different. I'm usually the one over here going, no, 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 that's not going to work. I can tell you all the things that are going to go wrong with that. What I mean is Jared would say something like, I have a great idea. Let's turn the whole house into a jungle gym. We'll move all of the couches. We're going to swing off the stairs. We're going to jump onto trampolines inside. It's going to be super great. And I'm going, "Uh, no, we could die or worse, be in trouble with mom and dad. (laughs) I was and still am often, the party pooper, putting Jared's plans on hold because we would either get hurt or in trouble. And it's a really silly example, I recognize that, but in thinking this week and preparing for Jared's visit, I thought a lot about this. In both cases, he and I are trying to do what we think is best for our family. Jared wants everyone to have fun and enjoy life, and I want us to stay safe and out of trouble. And honestly, for the longest time, I thought Jared was crazy. Why would you not want to be like me and like care about every single step that every single person makes and try to keep us out from getting hurt and trying to keep us from getting trouble? But I realize now my way is not always the best way. Sometimes we have to listen to Jared and be fun and free. And yes, sometimes we have to listen to me and worry about safety a little bit. Sometimes what's actually best for all of us is somewhere in between all of this. Again, I recognize this is a silly example. But in our lives, in these desert seasons where we're wandering, I think we're really stubborn in our way of getting through these Like Moses, we hit the rock with our staff because our way is the best way, no matter what others say, no matter what God says. But back in this text, Moses doesn't ask for a leader. He doesn't say, hey, God, find one just like me, and it'll be fine. Moses says, God, I want four things. I want a leader that goes out before them a leader that returns before them, a leader that leads them, and a leader that brings them back. When you encounter desert or transitional times in your life, do you tell God how to fix it for you? Or do you ask God to lead you through these difficult times? Do we need to let go of our need for control for our way of doing things and let God appoint solutions? Even in the situations with the communities that you're part of, do you ask God for what's best for the group you serve? Or do you ask what's best for yourself? Do you pray for a promotion? Or do you pray for God to do what's best for your company? Do you pray for a quick fix or the best, with the long-term solution? Do we trust God's work in all seasons of our life? Back in our text, Moses wants what's best for the group. Moses trusts God in all seasons of his life, including the ones that he won't be part of. And Joshua also trusts God in all seasons. So let's talk about Joshua, this person that God's going to appoint to be the new leader. This is the rest of our passage, verses 18 through 23. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and the, all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight." You shall invest him with some of your authority, that the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation. And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had directed through Moses. So God turns over the leadership from Moses to Joshua. Now Joshua is very different from Moses. Joshua is a brilliant military mind. He's a faithful person. We've seen Joshua's success earlier in the book of Exodus and in the book of Numbers. Joshua also wants what's best for the Israelite people. And another spoiler alert, he is successful. He leads the Israelites in incredible military successes, and he takes the people to the promised land. Joshua learns to trust God in all seasons of his life. So what does this mean for us? How do we trust God in all seasons of our lives? I got to talking with a friend about that this week and we both agreed that when things are dark, when we're in a desert, that's when we're really good at relying on God. We joked and said, we pray our best prayers in the pits. But when things are going right, we struggle to remember God We struggle to rely on God, and we seem to think that things are going right by some merit of our own rather than what God is doing through us. When we're in the promised land, we forget to ask for help. But I think about Moses again. Moses got to see the promised land. He got to stand up on top of the mountain and see the thing that he and all the people had been waiting for this entire time. But he continued to rely on God and show his need for God in all seasons. Right after being told that he can go look at the promised land, Moses says, what about a new leader for the people? And Joshua, in the promised land, continued to rely on God in all seasons of the Israelites' journey. The promised land is not a finish line. Because, another spoiler for you, the Israelite people's problems continued in the promised land. It didn't end there for them. Next week, we're starting a new series that we're titling Unmentionables. We're going to talk about things that the church has done a really bad job at talking about in its history. We're going to talk about the things that follow us into a promised land. Things like guilt, shame, grief. Regret, and yeah, fear. So as you jump into your day tomorrow, you may be on a mountaintop looking at the promised land. You may be already in the promised land. Maybe you're still wandering in the desert. But what if you prayed prayers asking God for discernment? What if we asked God to clearly reveal our next steps for us? What if we asked God to show things that are best for us. What if we made like Moses and Joshua and learned to trust God in all seasons of our life? Amen.